Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. Alongside John Wellborn, Luke Summers and Tex McQuilkin are the faces and brains behind Power Athlete, which is a strength and conditioning movement that is making noise all over the world. Tex McQuilkin is a former captain of his college lacrosse team and has spent time on college campuses as a strength coach, including stops at Georgetown and the University of Texas at Austin. Luke Summers, known to some as a high school football phenom, has been absolutely essential in the build of Power Athlete in the way that we know it today. These guys eat, sleep, and breathe strength and conditioning. They know it inside and out. Their approach is as well considered as any that you will find. There's a ton of good information in this podcast. We really hope you enjoy it. Do you guys want to talk a little bit about the stuff you got coming up? Symposium and, and uh, anything else you might be working on? Yeah, sure. I'll start Symposium. December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Austin, Texas. And uh, are, are you coming or is Alex coming? Who's coming? We're both coming. We'll oh, both be there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's link up. Um, that's December 8th, 9th, and 10th in Austin, Texas. Three-day speaker event. Uh, we got a, a killer list. Fortunate enough, as you know, running these podcasts, you get linked up with people way out of your league, right? Yep. <laughs> and, um, and you're able to make an impression and learn from these folks. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, they're in your Rolodex. So we got right. guys... Like Bert Soren, uh, Derek Woodski, Dr. Tom Incladon, out of Cosenta, um, Ingrid Markham, Roth Ruiz, who's one of the you know the pioneering plank holders of the methodology we preach, um, and more. I mean, I'm kind of cutting it short, but it's going to be a killer event out here, Austin, Texas, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, December eight, nine, ten. Uh, that if you're keen to dig into that, powerathletehq.com/symposium, make it happen. Austin's also a legit place, like. Yeah. Uh, regardless from where you're traveling from, it's, it's pretty fun town, lots of great food culture. Um, so we're, we're knocking that bad boy out and that, you know, the beautiful thing behind that is, uh, it, all proceeds are going to our charity that we roll with called Wade's army love battling neuroblastoma. Uh, as much as I'd love to make this like a, a, a quasi profitable event, it's not the goal. The goal is truly you know, we're not the best business people. Like the goal is truly to make change, right? And to expose people to smart folks and hopefully shift their trajectory because it's it's afforded me that change in my trajectory has afforded me a quality of life and confidence and all these intangibles that uh, I, I don't think I would have had right. had I not been exposed to guys like John Roth and Ben when I was. And I think that these events can do that for folks. And it has, it has. We've had four of these already, three, four, four, uh, four of these already. And at least one person comes out at, you know, a complete 180 or at least yeah. 90 you know what i mean um so that's i'm excited for that and uh i might tinker a little bit with there's definitely gonna be some media afterwards uh if folks can't make it uh, we're gonna push some of that out yep but um so that's that's one of our big events coming on and then i guess the next thing that we got really rolling is our methodology course yeah can, and registration is open right now so i literally just answered a, an email question before and a coach told it asked us he's taking over high school just uh his kids are enrolled his nephew's enrolled and he's going to start the strength and conditioning program because he was told what his son and daughter were doing and he's like no so he approached and he had the opportunity but essentially we establish a a base level of knowledge for anyone getting into the strength game or 
just a base level of knowledge for any experienced strength coach out there to now teach other people. So think of this as almost like an intern curriculum or you're a high school level coach or a parent, and this is where we have to begin to establish a foundation entryway entryway for you not to fall for the bullshit or be informed enough to battle the bullshit that is out there. And we uh, are learning experience is in real time. So this is an online go at your own pace, not a, a kind of drink from the fire hose for two days. Right. No, our objective is for you to apply a program while we're walking through essential training principles, coaching different movements, our primal movements, and then understanding who the athlete is in their athlete life cycle. Because one of the biggest mistakes that coaches make is applying the wrong program at the wrong time. That can have detrimental effects on an athlete's long-term athletic development and performance opportunity to play at the next level and so on. So uh, online online registration is open for a course, and then we I'm happy to answer any questions literally on the phone or email. I've been doing it all uh, all our month here, but that's academy.powerathletehq.com. That's awesome and so necessary for real. Um, and I and I think people really are. You mentioned leaving a footprint. You mentioned teaching and the methodologies. Like people should get into this. Um, the truth is like. We need some kind of anchors in strength and conditioning, especially as it develops and grows, especially at the high school level when so many people that are entering the space are very well-intended but maybe not so well-informed and are probably mm-hmm. coming out of the run-till-you-puke mentality, right? So they only they can only draw from their own experiences. And what you guys are doing in terms of like the media is a component, right? The merch is a component to make it a, a thing that's cool and people want to be a part of. Like you're welcoming people into that space from the from the – marketing type attraction uh but then you're informing them and equipping them to do good for kids and the ripple effect of that could be massive Um, sure sure so yeah we definitely appreciate what you guys are doing yeah and we uh we started the show talking about experiences and we name drop a couple coaches and anybody can have that impact we always want that impact to be for the good not the not the negative Mm -hmm. and imagine just 20 years from now somebody you're working with that is just name dropping you of saying, well, yeah, we're doing these crazy things. And, uh, you know, next thing you know, I'm freaking cracking skulls at the next level. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. There's no question that what, what the, where we work in the strength and conditioning sector in sports, et cetera, um, there's power in it. We mentioned how powerful the platform was. And like, we, like you just said, we just want to make sure that power is aimed in the right direction. We want to hear more about you guys. I think anyone who tunes in, um, to this podcast because of you guys we already know a little bit about you but we hope okay. to like broaden the audience so for like the you know the the PE or health teacher down the road or, or whoever down in Naperville um, we want to hear a little bit about your bios what brought you to this um, athletically whatever and then we'll get into a little bit of coaching theory and and who knows what from there where do I begin? <clears throat> I think the year was 1982. My parents, I was just a twinkle in my dad's eye at that point. Uh, October 10th was the day I came into this world. Is, am I starting too early? Farther back. Um, farther back. <laughs> okay, yeah. 1947. No. Right. Um, yeah, so born and raised in Naperville, Illinois, right? So right down the street from y'all, uh, small world. Currently now residing in Austin, Texas. Um, grew up playing football, I guess, you know, actually just playing outside. And then in third grade, you know, I think my parent, you're old enough as a kid, your parents start to be like, I need to get this kid out into somebody else's, make him someone else's problem for a couple hours. And for whatever reasons, you you know, I did field day and camps and stuff like that. And, uh, football came up. 
and I wanted to try it out and strapped on the helmet, got my literally my ass handed to me my very first practice, like just tea kettle and started yeah. crying and then wanted to quit. But my folks did the thing and they're like, OK, get back in there. And fortunately, uh, we had a, um, a really solid co- like youth coaching staff in Naperville. And uh, that's where it started, man. And then the first year kind of got acclimated. Second year joined on the Pop Warner traveling team. And then with a group of guys that I ended up playing football with all the way through high school. You know, and I think that was kind of unique. We had a coach, Coach Bob Napolitano, who uh, his, he wasn't even a coach. Solid coaching name, right? Yeah. Now. His, Destiny. his job was to make sure that what was going on in the fifth grade was what was going on varsity neighborhood central. Yeah. Right. Same zone steps, same defensive schemes for the most part. Right. And he was scouting for freaking, <laughs> you know, the, the NCHS yeah. and um, had a pretty successful high school career, which like, you know, as a 35 year old dude seems pretty pathetic. But I don't care, people, because yeah. it was fun. It was awesome. <laughs> and honestly, I know there's a group of guys out there that I haven't talked to in probably 15, 10, 15, some of them, 20, 25 years. Yeah. I could ring up and, in, you know. Happy to catch up, right? Um, senior year, I did develop neck condition, which was hypolordosis of the cervical spine, where when I would make hard contact, uh, I would black out, right? Oh, this is before any CTE concussion. You know, I'd be out from three seconds to 45 seconds, no consciousness, but it would have motor control and participate, call plays. It was insane. I just thought I was getting my bell rung. Coach is like, ah, not normal, trainer. Definitely not normal. Tell my folks. Mom freaks out. Next thing you know, we're at Northwestern University getting CAT scans and MRIs and shit. And uh, I'd been my brainstem was swollen, Jeez. like 30%, and resting on the atlas of my spine, and that was was causing that trauma. Think of a kind of strumming a guitar guitar chord, but it's your spinal cord. Uh, that's what was call, causing that issue. So um, that's why I think when we played, I did, I wasn't playing, so yeah. I was on the sideline at that point. But the goal was to play football in college. I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go D one. I wanted to be a D three all-star. Ooh. Uh, I had the size for it. And, uh, and my, I had the opportunity to talk to a, my dad. It was a dentist. He sat me down with a lot of, uh, and this isn't to dissuade any of any of the athletes. Out. I don't know if you have an athlete following, but well, I sure hope so. <laughs> I, I, or high school athlete. I'm sorry. But, uh, I, I sat down with some former division one guys, some former NFL guys that my dad knew. And they're like, Hey, you know, it's a, you're making a sacrifice. You become an athlete first student second. And it, I guess it wasn't for me. And then I got to talk to some D three guys who played football and then, you know, and they're like, yeah, you know, you're definitely a student first and you balance the, the coaches depending on the program, balance life with sport and yada, yada. So that's what appealed to me, I guess. Yeah. Um, got into college, Got rehabbed, regained that cervical curve, swelling went down, cleared by the neurologist, went through triple days and all that good stuff to play football at North Central College in Naperville. And uh, first day of pads, they had me playing kind of like a, a rush end. And at the, also at this time, I was doing like just run, doing trail runs and like 500 push-ups, getting ready to get the body to pick up chicks in college. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I had it. I was there. But I, I became a little undersized. I was like – you know, went drop from <clears throat> 210 down to maybe 200 pounds, 190 pounds. And I'm going against, you know, now grown men in college. And uh, anyways, come down, crack down, first day of pads, and I have an opportunity to light up a big guy. That was like my – ask Joe Alvarez if you yeah. still talk to that guy. He's a big dude. Big, he he, dude, big dude. This dude was bearded in sixth grade. but And he, he was strong dude. But like I always could get the best of that guy. Not always. I – 
a couple times I got the best one. But big guys, I like to take them out. And uh, went dark, piled up. Coach had to talk with my mom prior to the season, and they basically pulled me, offered me an ATC position or like a, a team. What, what's the other guy that's not an ATC? Manager. Yeah, like a manager position. Yeah. I couldn't do it. You know, yeah. good on the guys who do, but it wasn't my thing. So yeah. started training, just continuing what I was doing in that offseason, was just kind of beach body training. Yeah. Um, got a degree in computer, didn't play sports. So I had to bail out, didn't play any sports in college. Um, got a degree in computer science, mathematics, and smashing bush light. Uh, you know, college experience, I guess. Mm-hmm. And got a job right out of college, corporate gig, and everything kind of fell to the wayside. Yeah. And three or four years into that, you uh, you know, wanted to regain my health and fitness and signed up for a triathlon with uh, one of my best friends who's built for triathlons. Uh, I, on the other hand, am built to sink. And, you know, I trained for it, long, slow distance, run, swim, bike. And I thought I was fit. And uh, I guess do a couple triathlons, sprint. Listen, I'm not like that elite, but a couple sprint triathlons. And I think I'm back in shape and then kind of get into this CrossFit thing and realize how out of shape I am. Yeah. You know, it's a completely different stimulus and uh, a level of intensity that I was missing in my training that I once had when yeah. I trained for sports. Right. Right. Now along, this is about the same time I join up uh, on a flag football team out there in, uh, in Bolingbrook, which is, can be kind of gnarly, man. It's full, yes. it's full contact. And uh, the only people protected are the, the ball carriers and uh, the quarterbacks. So I'm out there cracking skulls, no signs of uh, my previous condition, and I'm just kind of getting real, real fit, you know, in the in the paradigm of CrossFit, which is increased work capacity, broad time, modal domain. And um, what happens is my fitness is like, I'm getting elite fit, bro, yeah. at least for at the time. Like, you know, I'm doing all the cool CrossFit stuff. But my performance, I'm slowing down, I'm getting right. tea-kettled, I'm getting ragdolled in flag football. So that's when I find a program called CrossFit Football. Mm-hmm. Right, and this is where John Wellborn guys, ten, who who we work with, ten year NFL veteran, is putting out a version of CrossFit. I'm doing air quotes for the listeners. Um, that's tailored towards the power athlete, right? High horsepower, short duration, really the demands of all sports, right? Even even the the, the high volume kind of high motor rugby soccer, yep. it's still power. It's about maximal power output for shorter durations to make the play, right? Yeah. And I see him. A total shift in my performance in flag football, right? Uh, I feel better. I can train harder. Things are good. And now it really starts to feel like what I was doing in the glory days, Tex, when I was out there with uh, just 11 warriors on the gridiron, making plays, making changes in life, right? And, um, dude, I, I, I wanted to go to the seminar and learn what, I, what, what was going on. Right. So I found myself going 2011 to – or 2010 – to a CrossFit football seminar, which was right down the street from me at the gym I trained at. And, uh, dude, listen to what these guys had to say. It opened up my eyes. At the time, I was just lost chasing this fitness and then performance. Like, I st- I was following the program, but I just didn't get it, dude. Yeah. There's something about it. I like, And it opened my eyes. And, uh, you know, the uh, spoiler alert, I got on the staff and started traveling around and giving the seminar. But, you know, the way I describe it is like, I was on a path, man. I was on a path. It was keep that corporate gig for a little bit, uh, find another way to get out of that gig, open up a gym, and start to empower people to get fit and, and kids to perform. Like I, yeah. That was what I was going to do. And it was, I was going to do it in the method that I was following at that point. Yep. And at this point, my trajectory shifted, man. I was going to – I mean 
seriously, I was going to watch my kids go to Central. I was going to go to Central football games. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I was going to be the like ninety percent of the people in Neighborville. You never you fucking have, leave. Do you have a letter jacket still? Yeah, I'm, I I wore it to work today. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely have the Letterman's jacket. That is a fact. Um, yeah. I've and, got mine uh, too. But I went to this thing, and dude, I I swear to God. It was just like I, I felt that I had failed everybody I had coached up until that point. I had coached some youth kids as well. Um, and uh, I'm like, I want to do that. I yeah. want to make the feeling that I feel now, this this like, this like reality, I want to make that happen for people. Yeah. And just a few months later, John posted on his blog, talktomejohnny.com, uh, an article where there was just a very subtle line in there because people were bitching at him. I guess he hadn't posted in a few weeks or something. He was on a pretty – at that point and he, the article is are you hurt or are you injured and there's a guy asking like oh my quads are sore can i squat with sore quads or you know we get peppered with yeah. like all these early onset like just amateur questions and that's you got to learn somehow but in there he said man i'll tell you what's going on listen my office manager quit so now i'm running my gym i'm starting a food company um my wife's pregnant with twins uh you know life basically is caving in i've got way too many hustles to handle um <laughs> and he's like if you know someone who wants shitty pay to work shitty hours and come run my gym in Newport Beach California contact me yeah and i'm like that's me i want to do that i want to work shitty hours i don't care about my pay i want to make a change and i want to be on this staff and long story short from this point on quit my gig Packed up my dogs and my girlfriend, now fiance, moved to California, Congrats. lived there for five years, helping John run his gym, get on the seminar staff. We started Power Athlete uh, formally out there. You know, this thing has been in the works since 2009-10, but oh, right. it formally launched in 2013. Um, and then we moved our operations to Austin, Texas, man. And this is where this is where we're at now. Uh, just served up our last CrossFit branded seminar and on that. the precipice of uh of launching our full catalog of seminars courses clinics uh for 2018 2019 and moving on i love it i um listen i b before i'm sorry to do this text but, no, we, go, but go, there's go. so much content there man is he interesting Wait, it's um, his life. <laughs> it is. um I get, the questions for both of you um i gotta pick apart one one component the crossfit thing is super interesting and the mm -hmm. fitness versus uh, strength or athleticism, whatever that, however you want to like encapsulate that conversation, the strength for um, like soccer, rugby, lacrosse, real like field type players who do need endurance. What was that? Uh, did that take some convincing? Because uh, CrossFit football, I think, was pretty unique at the time, right? The whole mm -hmm. the whole CrossFit craze was really building up. To go counter to that was like blasphemous, oh. probably. First off, you have CrossFit fanboys that show up, but then let's say you you're for, you. Let's say you're in uh, Gold Coast, Australia, right? And you're talking to 50 people. Uh, 49 of them play rugby or coach rugby. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that before they found CrossFit. And those 49 people now are infatuated with CrossFit. Right. And there's that one guy. I don't know how he made it there, but he gets it. <laughs> you know? Um, you're talking to a population of people who think in order to prep for the 5K that a rugby player runs. Is that no 15K? that a rugby player may anyway. run or Aussie rules guy may run during a gig, right? Uh, these guys need to run that plus 10%, 20%, 30% on the regular mm -hmm. to prepare for that. Right. Right. 
Uh, and they think that when you supplement with that, you have to replicate those time domains in a Metcon format, meaning we're going to do lots of what, you know, CrossFit chippers where it's high volume, submaximal efforts for 30 minute ish periods. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're chipping away at this rep scheme and movement selection and you're going like you grab them by the collar and you smack them across the face and you're like, no, you're wrong. You know, and it was a battle. And, and what we have to keep reminding folks is, you know, uh, I guess for the football folks out there, the analogy we would give is like, you could try to get in the best shape of your life in the off season. Did anything prepare you for the first day of training camp? Right. No. Did anything prepare you for the first day of pads? No. Did anything prepare you for the first scrimmage? No. How about the first game? No. No. Because the only way to truly prepare for those is to go through that that moment. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and that's the that was the when we could that that was how we would try to tap into these guys is like the sport will prepare you have a training camp for your athletes six to eight weeks and they're gonna be running yeah. all of this distance. That your goal is to put them in good enough shape, not to survive that. But to have that have a beneficial training effect mm-hmm. for the season. Right. Right? Because that's the training stimulus that's going to prepare them for the demands of the sport. What we're supposed to be doing in the off season is expanding all of these intangible abilities, intangible abilities, strength, power, and speed, maximal speed, the ability to replicate speed, the rate at which they recover between max velocity efforts. That's what we're working on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you could, you'd get the light on 50% of them. You know, and they'd they'd come through and then other people would just agree because they were sick of us yelling at them, you know, (laughs) and you just bully them into submission. That's fair. A a lot of them got it. A lot of them didn't because they just love the feeling of being torched and burned from a workout. Right. Which Mm -hmm. is unfortunate. But when we talk about sport, it's it's the goal is so much greater than that current day in training. And we don't have to feel like we got fucking run over or hit by a truck. We are thinking towards the season, towards the goal. That's why I love so much working with teams and sports because goals and it's inherently built in. That is season mm-hmm. versus you know general population when it's yeah just I don't care uh, my life sucks I'm gonna show up for an hour and just fucking kick my ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I curse? Absolutely. Okay. It's preferred. Oh. Well, I fucked that up. I haven't said fuck like until now. All right, go text. You can dump them all if if they were building up. <laughs> no, see, I take a uh, emotional approach to my coaching. I not me. Luke does it to be cool because he wants to impress you. So yes, cool. not just you, but like, your listeners and high school football bros. <laughs> um, you will never understand, Pex. Yeah. So I guess kind of in line in line with a lot of your questions is a lot of the questions that I uh, sought to answer in my athletic and coaching journey. All. Um, expedite this as as fast as I can and then um, I guess plant the seeds for a lot of the questions that we aim to answer in uh, I guess all of our teachings in courses and clinics and all the good stuff um, so small small town I guess similar to Naperville where it's outside of Chicago I'm Katie Texas outside of Houston Texas uh, go Astros so uh, essentially growing up if you've seen the movie Friday Night Lights that was my experience our town would shut down and the whole community would go to the Friday Night Lights football games. Uh, I'm not. I'm talking about Friday Night's the movie, not the not the TV show. Real life is not that dramatic. Like, Fair. For real. Yeah. Terrible. Um, important so distinction. Anyway, yeah, yeah. And 
it was fun. Like life evolved around Friday night lights. We would shut down and then we middle school, uh, you know, freshmen, sophomore, all these teams leading up. It was all about that moment in time. And you had so much respect for the coaches, the experience and all this good stuff. So growing up, we had two high schools. We had Katie, which wins the state championship in Texas every single year. And then where I went, Katie Taylor. <laughs> so we would get our asses kicked uh, 60 to nothing, just mm-hmm. not good. But it was still about training and fighting for that effort. We were going to be the team that to, uh, you know, dethrone the Kings. Um, yeah, but had a super fun time growing up. And then um, it just got to that moment. Uh, I actually picked up a lacrosse stick um, because there's this moment where you either make varsity like the end of your sophomore year spring ball, mm-hmm. or you are just on a, a fast track towards junior on JV, which is almost like a social slap in the face. Yeah. You're almost just playing for fun, and then your heart is freaking cringing and wrung out on Friday nights when you're watching your your friends, your bros, your teammates compete on the, the stage. Right. So uh, end of sophomore year, did not make varsity, and then they – I distinctly recall the conversation with my coach when he said, you are, you work hard in the weight room, you work hard in the, uh, on the field, but you're just not any good. And I was like, ah, shit. So what they decided to do is take this premier freshman class that we had and then bump them up to varsity um, their sophomore year and just for the chance two, three years down the road right. to compete against the Katy Tigers. So ten of, uh, 10 of my boys, we felt slighted, so... That summer, after our sophomore year, we decided to start a lacrosse team. So 10th lacrosse team in Houston. Honestly, we showed up for like the summer league ball and old men's league. And honestly, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. <laughs> like we were playing football with sticks and we needed a coach. We needed a guidance and a guy just volunteered. Mm-hmm. So probably about a 40 year old man who just kind of lived out in Katy. And he's like, oh, these guys are close enough. I'll, I'll help them out. I got the opportunity to play some D3 lacrosse ball. But all I knew was lift weights, run as fast as you can, and play your sport. Right. And um, my only perception and understanding of collegiate sports came from my friends that went on to play college football, even at the D3 level like Trinity in Texas. And it was, you still get a strength program. Here's what I want you to do over the summer to lead up. This is my strength coach. This is my weight room, yada, yada, yada. You hear about it. And that was my expectation when I get to <laughs> D3 Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. And I walk into a fitness center. Like with Smith machine and a freaking elliptical is not a weight room. So I was like, ah, shit, what am I going to do? Hit up the assistant coach for the team, and we got a squat rack donated from our high school, and that just became uh, essentially my livelihood. Dude, I I was not skilled, but damn it, I'm going to whoop your ass. That's basically it. Basically, football player with a stick, continue that mentality, but we're trained and brought a football football mentality to the sport of lacrosse, which is at the time very – finesse and uh you know east coast private school sport but um had, had had success solely on i was going to outwork you and basically what would be normal in freaking high school expectation of football was new in lacrosse and gave me an opportunity just by freaking busting my ass absolutely um, yeah and over four years um just four years started three-year captain but earned the respect of the coaches to take them and say all right you have the respect of the team. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be a grad assistant coach. Nice. So, hell yeah, well, free school. Why not? I'm going to take it. And then I had a, a realization when I went on my first recruiting trip that I was talking to parents and 
students, high school student athletes, like, uh, they were asking me questions about the sport that I didn't understand. <laughs> they had been playing this longer than I had, yep. and they were like 16 years old. So I was like, oh, shit. There's an intuition. There's a level to this game that I still did not pick up and comprehend yet. All I knew were one offensive system, one defensive scheme. Like, right. God, God bless Mike Cavanaugh in, in Katy, Texas for teaching us this game, but he didn't teach us how to play the game. Right. It, it was just... He taught you how to compete. The rules, uh, right. Organized chaos. Yeah. Basically, uh, I do recall our first tournament that we played, he never told us that you can't lead block in lacrosse. So we... <laughs> and you can't... Like, the games don't stop after penalties. It mm-hmm. just keeps on rolling. So we had one guy that had three penalties in basically 10 seconds because he went and led block and knocked three people right on their ass <laughs> leading for the ball carrier. It was... It was a good time. Like lots of, uh, we got away with a lot back then. (laughs) But needless to say, I didn't learn how to play the game uh, almost until, you know, I got to the college level, but I only knew my system. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the game essentially. But recruiting these kids, and I was like, all right, I still need to have an impact. Uh, I'm a leader, I'm a winner, I'm going to find a way. And I decided the weight room is the weight room is the way. Yeah. So I'm going to become the strength coach for these guys. We're going to be mental, tough, badass guys that, uh, and I was, bringing in D3 all-stars that had no weight room experience coming in. So we talk about novice athletes a lot with power athlete, 100% the kids I was working with. Yeah. So in my first, this is post post summer recruiting, all that good stuff. In my first training session with the team, again, we still didn't have a weight room or anything fancy. So how do we gain upper body strength? All right, we're going to kick up and hold handstands. So I ask my former teammates, my, still my friends, but now my athletes to kick up a new handstand. And one of my boys is senior tears his rotator cuff. Oh no. So I took away his last opportunity to play a sport he loved because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. So this is September, 2009. I, I, I don't know. I had a, a freaking, um, just, I couldn't believe I, I did this to this guy. So now I had to get on the internet. I had to find someone who knew what they were doing. Uh, instead of just pretending to know, right? So then um, got on the internet, found John Wellborn, and he taught a course, strength and conditioning course, CrossFit football. So the next session that he taught was December 2009. So I saved up my money. I took my last dollar as a grad student and broke his shit and invested in flying out from D.C. to California to experience a two-day course, and it was my first true exposure to strength and conditioning. A true look at the sport. What are the demands? What do our athletes need to succeed? Okay, now how do we look at the athlete? Where do they stand in, in relation to their demands? Okay, now we need to develop a program to get the athlete prepared for that sport. So that is strength and conditioning, and I had no freaking idea, right? Stealing programs from my buddies at Texas and uh, that won national championships, Luke. Uh, but, you know, not familiar. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it was I thought I knew what I was doing. Why? Because I had some success on the field. I was getting stronger. But it, I, I still had these moments of failure as an athlete, like uh, going back to what my high school said. You, coach, you said you work hard in the field, you work hard in the weight room, but you're not any good. But then that stuck with me into college as the chip on my shoulder. But there was still moments where I was overpowered and outrun by kids I knew. Like even in practice, my teammates, I knew they couldn't even bench press 135 pounds. 
but then they would be able to stand me up and I couldn't stand them up. So uh, just one moment, I remember uh, a guy just backed me down. I played defense, guy backed me down and just freaking slammed Uncle my goalie. He grabs me by the face mask, mask and he says, uh, I've seen you bench 315 pounds. Get this guy fucking off of me. And he just like throws me out of his face. So that's a moment of I can I am stronger than this person. Yeah. Why? Why can't why can't my weight room transfer the field? Right. What I thought would be more work is the answer. It wasn't. So I was had these questions, but then meeting John and and Rafael Ruiz, it was okay. They had an answer to these questions. Transfer of training. I don't want any other athlete to experience the like the failure, right? The illusion of preparation that I had. It wasn't always more, more, more. It was note applying the appropriate tools the movements execution everything right to allow for the maximal transfer of the training so uh yeah it was it was the mission the objective of answering that question and then making it digestible enough for really high school coaches sport coaches for them to understand so that that became a big part of i guess my mission and then teaching the seminars getting connected with you know uh, a lot of the athletes that find CrossFit later in life, like Luke talked about being in shape. Well, I don't want a high school coach. I don't want a professional coach Mm -hmm. to experience CrossFit and be like, oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. This is what my players need. This is what my players need, (laughs) which is what happens. Sure. And then their players' performance suffers or they get hurt because of this, because it's a misapplication of a a fitness program, not a strength and conditioning program. So it's – that's a lot of the conversation that we have with these individuals. Like, yeah, this is great for you, but your freaking day is done. Let's focus on your <laughs> no, kids. No, it's not, Tex. I, well, I know. I can do That's it why still. we joined that softball league. I've heard about the softball league. Done. That's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. And it's and even you were looking at Sean Payton and the Saints, you know, like, yeah, yeah. dude gets banned for a year, falls in love. And then it says this is going to be it for it. And then we look at, you know, three consecutive seven and nine seasons. Yeah. So just an, an example that all of us can reference, you know, I don't know what's going on in the weight room, but um, just a, an example. So, yeah. uh, you know, you get all these things, but it's the bottom line of answering that question. How can my tra- training transfer to the, the sport, the field, the rink? Yeah. And we only get so much time with our athletes. So it's very important that we really understand this so we can apply the appropriate things in the limited time that we have as a coach. No question. And transfer seems to be like the operative word on on both sides. Not only how does your training transfer to field, pool, court, whatever it might be, but how do you guys, and this is like what you've been tasked with, um, how do you transfer all that information to something that you use the word digestible? How do you get all that really good stuff into the mind um, of a high school at, uh, coach, whatever, um, well enough so that he can apply and even improvise and adjust as he moves forward. Transfer is for sure the thing. Um, ours is always like, the question we always ask is, does your behavior match your goal, right? And it's it so simple, it's so straightforward, but um, it's, uh, you know, that sort of self-reflection is something that people don't engage in probably often enough. Because, you know, um, like you were mentioning, Luke, we, we probably... Well, we've seen it countless times. We've seen people prepare um, in field sport athletes in sports like soccer and lacrosse, et cetera. Um, we've probably prepared them to play like eight quarters at 65%. You know what I mean? Too, far too often because you're so afraid of, of not being in shape that you neglect the fact that you need to, to move and, and burst and, and change direction. Mm-hmm. 
but that that's that illusion of preparation uh, that we I think discussed. That's a great like, term. Yeah. Um, it, and I'm on a mission to freaking burn down the conditioning test because yeah. seriously, it, it does not show you. And as, as Luke stated earlier, like nothing prepares you for the first day of pads, nothing pre- prepares you for the first game. Mm-hmm. So the only way to get in shape for soccer, football, lacrosse, hockey is playing the sport. Right. So, and then just at one of the universities I worked at, it was the conditioning test determined when you started practice. You had to pat, pra- you had to pass yeah. the test to practice with the team. So then it was every single day you hit the test. So kids were failing and failing. And I'm talking about starters. Like Mm -hmm. if the game started, that kid is in, but this coach would hammer it home. So he is missing his necessary conditioning, the real conditioning and the reps of the skills combined Mm -hmm. with the elevated heart rate. And it just, uh, my inability to communicate really dives in this, into the research and the understanding of the material to effectively maximize deeper communication so no other coach has to run into that problem. Like, And mm-hmm. two miles has nothing to do with a freaking baseball. Te- baseball. <laughs> especially, know- if, especially if you're doing it after like a two-hour practice as um- – you know, as some sort of gut check, I don't know, or whatever, or, or discipline, it's it's um, it's a miss. You want to throw off uh, an athlete's performance on a Friday night, um, put them through a two-hour practice, and then have them do a conditioning test again over and over until they get it right. I mean, they'll they'll have nothing underneath them by the time they have to move on Friday or Saturday. Yeah, then, or, yeah. or 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 um, you know, uh, punish. I guess punish for. I don't know some dipshit high school reason, and you punish them with a stimulus that's going to to drop their readiness. Right. right? And that's one thing we, we try to break through with some coaches we talk to is we give them a, we give, you can still fucking smash a soul. Like Mm -hmm. if you need to smash a soul to, to drive a point home or to have a repercussion from misbehavior or whatever, you can do that. But there are ways to do that without compromising, uh, readiness, right? Yeah. Uh, pillars, trunk isometrics, uh, you know, like all sorts of different ways. And, um, anyways, I guess that's, uh, uh, another perspective on that thing is just is not understanding that the compromise to to readiness and peak performance uh, in season or even preseason. You know, I I think that's exactly right. I like um like you can I don't what was it crush the soul of someone? What was it? What was it? <laughs> yeah, crush can, your uh, souls. I guess you can certainly <laughs> uh, test someone's will uh, holding a plank. You know, we do that all the time. You don't have to mm-hmm. uh, crush their lower body. Um, yeah. And I love that for finding out who my 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 people are. Yeah, uh, I love the isometric holds for the first day that you walk into a weight room. You determine who the leaders are. You determine who the quitters are. You, sure. you just start to see it all unfold. Yeah, the guys that'll go until they literally crumble versus the guys that'll stop a, a second or two short. Yeah. And then if they crumble, who's gonna get back in the fight early? Who's gonna pretend like they're Oh, you know my oh something on my arm. Oh, right, right. You know. I'll tell you. No, my favorite, my favorite, and we see this. We saw this last weekend at our our course. We taught. It was the uh, you try to provide a cue or direction, just shoulders so, shoulders back or something. Oh, I and didn't then, hear you. Let me stop. They, yeah, they drop exactly. and then look at you. What? What'd you say? Oh, that's that's. We, was yours that girl? Are you talking sure. about the girl? No, I'm talking about our our. Our friend that trains with us sometimes, but oh, no. I saw it more during the uh, <laughs> um, saw it more during the clinic. Just uh, uh, reinforcing uh, that this uh, is an actual thing that people do. I thought it was just uh, yeah. the one person. That's my. I'll full disclosure. Uh, yeah. that's also my move. 
But is my it? move is actually no. I'll no, I'll no, stop no, what I'm doing. I'll stop what I'm doing to go coach and help people get better. There you it know? is. Because it's I have a moral obligation, Jim. Mm-hmm. Like if I see something, I am obligated to say something. And having the coach's eye and the vision to look through that lens is really a curse to my training. Because oftentimes, is this what's going through your head during <laughs> your rest time? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's no question. It's a gift and a curse. And if it if it matters at all, that um. Those those like telltale signs are happening up here too. It's like you said the funny thing like there's something on my arm that I can't do, yeah. like hold the plank or whatever. And and the pausing to hear you better, it's hilarious. We don't do we just stop it. Um, we've got but you're right. We we use it to uh, we try to figure out leaders through planks. And I, I mean it's so baseline, it's so basic. It's not like uh, sexy or cool in any in any kind of way. But uh, every once in a while, like listen, when we do isometric holds, we're doing them uh, on angles. We do them for probably 30 second bursts to complement the movements we're doing in the room. But every once in a while, we call it a shuffle plank, and we just plug the iPod in and uh, and hit shuffle, and we've got a hold for the duration of that plank. And that's when you get uh, the variation, yeah, yeah. the butts up in the air, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can figure things out from that, though, and that's important. It's important to test. Uh, oh, okay. So I had another question, a thought I wanted to go down. Um, and I heard Alex actually heard some of this um, athleticism. Like, can you build athleticism? I know this is a topic. Um, people who are naturally gifted versus people who really work on it. Uh, the D three All Star thing. I like laugh along with it, but I was one, so I like. It's like okay. Uh, the uh, no, I, I love it. Like like potential. I guess it's some. It's it's agency versus determinism on some level. Like, are you born with it, or 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 how much really can be learned and worked on through uh, the stuff that you guys are talking about? Well, you know, the answer there, Jim, is both, right? right. And that's the answer really to everything in life, yeah. if you can phrase it correctly. So the, the concept is um, there is untapped athletic potential regardless of your current capability, right? Okay. And the way we would visualize that is on a continuum, right? Imagine like uh, a, a line that goes on forever, has a starting point but goes on forever. Right. And um, if we were to... <clears throat> create like a global continuum and plot everybody on that line, mm-hmm. you know, let's say us three, right? Yeah. You know, Jim, you and I naturally are going to be further down that continuum <laughs> than my counterpart Tex here just by the nature of our, you know, geography. Yeah, I'm a genetic trash can. <laughs> it just works hard. No, but I'm kidding, but I'm not. I, but in terms of that, that distribution, right? Because you look yeah. at a guy – some of the God-given talents out there, and absolutely they're born with this athletic potential that that far exceeds any of ours, right? right? But at the end of the day, when we define athleticism, really it's it's through a lens of proficiency and movement. And specifically, we talk about the seamless and effortless combination of what we call primal movements through space to accomplish some sort of known or novel task, right? So yep. how how easy can you make something look, whether it's rehearsed or not? Right. And specifically within the domains of sport, it, it field sport, it's about that unrehearsed task because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're going to have to navigate around through over, right? Uh, you have an idea and a general direction, but the further along that continuum you are, the easier you kind of make it, you make it, yeah. right? And, uh, and within our methodology, that's the goal. We break down movement into all movement. All complex movement sequences are are a construct of seven primal movements, a vertical push, vertical pull, horizontal push, horizontal pull. And I'm talking about upper body. Mm-hmm. And then we have our squat step and lunge. And those are the three axes of rotation that our hips can kind of go through mm-hmm. to, to move you to use the lower extremities to do something right. Um, 
So if we can build proficiency in those fundamental components that make up all human movement and then continue to challenge proficiency by adding stressors like frequency, amplitude, direction, uh, load, uh, that, that is how we are going to improve someone's athleticism. Mm-hmm. Now, for some, it may be marginal, but that might be all it takes. You right. know what I mean? Uh, for others, it may be a huge gap, and you're taking a kid who's riding the pine to getting him some reps on special teams on Friday night. That's a big deal, you huge. know? Or you're taking a kid who's got the size for D1 uh, but is getting D2 looks, and then all of a sudden he has a walk-on opportunity. Like these, Those are, can be mm-hmm. resulting from marginal improvements of that proficiency in athleticism, right? Yeah. And along that is not just your – is the ability to replicate this, right? So – that's how we qualify and classify loosely uh, the athleticism continuum in our in our methodology, and that is the ultimate goal for uh, sure. for any sport athlete, regardless of how their sport is perceived, whether it's like low and slow or hot and heavy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or even in the water. Fair, right? right. Uh, your ability to, if you are more athletic, all you have a better chance to to succeed sure so so that right there is the ultimate performance trait and uh yeah absolutely you some guys have it some guys don't but it doesn't mean you can't build it for sure I, and i like the word the continuum makes complete sense right because you, you start somewhere but then i guess it's our job really our job and we approach it at our place the same way it's human optimization whatever that might mean and that's different for different people right and and the idea is is the direction we're moving not like where we start or where we end necessarily but the direction we're moving human optimization is key we uh we talk about an anchor and tether method essentially and sounds like uh you have seven anchors right the human body can only move in so many certain ways so you anchor Mm -hmm. it very specifically and explicitly so you can build from it and off of it and the tether would be uh essentially uh, a case by case or age group, age group by age group, whatever it might be, sport by sport, uh, lengthening or shortening of, of how crazy you can get with the training, mm-hmm. but it's still tied to that anchor, yeah. right? Uh, the squat is a squat and there's a thousand variations and some people can handle certain loads, etc. but squat is a squat. Where does, where does mindset come into all of this stuff for you? Uh, I'm glad you asked. So in terms of Luke talked about athleticism right there, and then you dropped the term potential. Mm -hmm. So potential, it's a label. So if we we are looking at an athlete, we are identifying potential. But then in the athlete's mind, the same construct here would be their performance. So potential from us out looking at the athlete from the outside, it comes down to three things. First is athleticism. The second is mental And then the third is going to be their skill, their sports-specific skill. And I want you to imagine a Venn diagram. So all three, each one of these represents a a component, a circle within the Venn diagram. So our mission, our objective, right, we work with sport coaches to enhance the athleticism of the athlete. If we can increase that bubble, that circle in the Venn diagram, what happens to the middle, their potential, their, their individual performance, it increases. We can make them you know, more skilled, uh, or accelerate their skill acquisition by increasing their athleticism. Mm-hmm. A lot of coaches, sports skill coaches are very selfish and they want that, that time in the NCAA, right. you only get eight hours, eight hours, eight weeks, eight hours a week. So they want to take as much time to fork on that skill. So their objective is to increase that skill bubble of the Venn diagram. Yep. 
in my personal opinion, we can accelerate that skill acquisition by making them more athletic, but that's a, that's an argument to have with the sport coach. But, um, then we have that third, that mental. Mm-hmm. So sport coach, they can tap into that mental by doing a lot of skill work practice, right? Yeah. Um, athleticism, we can tap into that mental by doing a lot of the training, really fucking grinding out three by fives, isometric holds, right? Mm -hmm. So with the objective of enhancing athleticism, we can start to tap into that mental thing. Now, identifying, so this is where we get real specific on the mental side of thing. With our training program, we aim to identify athletic limiting factors. What's preventing an athlete from, you know, really maximizing who they are whether it's like uh, as small as, you know, uh, joints, sure. uh, stability, mobility, whatever, or their strength, their foot speed, different things like that. But then for mental, we want to attack three limiting factors using training and athleticism uh, progression. So first would be self-esteem, mm-hmm. right? That where it would be a limiting factor in athletes, uh, self-esteem is too high. It's above their current abilities. <laughs> That makes them uncoachable. If you then start to talk about their current abilities, they're like, nah, that's not me. And we can't progress that that baseline that where they are because they don't believe it. They won't accept it. Right. Then we have the limiting factor of too too low self-esteem. Then, all right, we we've established their baseline. That's kind of where numbers and times are good. Right. Because you can start to reinforce, hey man, you got talent. You're good. Like, this is what we need to work on, but this is who you are. So let's progress up from here. But their perception of their performance is way down below that. Well, if you don't start to believe and these these plays or these numbers aren't representative right. of uh, if I can't get you to buy into you, then I'm never going to progress this baseline. That's what I'm trying to say. I like so that. we yeah, if I can't get you to buy into you, that's good. Just made that up. Oh, write that down. <laughs> I'm write writing that down. down. <laughs> but um. So bottom line, self-esteem too high, too low, but we want our athletes to understand exactly who they are so we can allow for per- progress. Right. And it, the limiting factor is null and void. Uh, next up, we have our, our uh, fear. I always decide, I, I always, I don't know what order to answer the next two. I always alternate them. So this time I'm going to go fear first. So fear, there are two types of athletes out there. We have fear thought athletes. So those that create the end result before it mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm staring at a one RM attempt during my, my training session and I don't see myself succeeding right now, if I met, uh, there's no freaking way I can get this. Yeah. I've already failed. Mm-hmm. So fear thought I, I, I put a, a conclusion in place and then self-fulfilling prophecy happens. Whether it's, you know, playing against the number one team, Katie Tigers, and you know, we're going to lose. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Well, that's right. going, that's going to happen. It happens every year. Step it up, Katie Taylor. So um, <laughs> then we have fear action, fear action athletes. And what's our natural instinctive, you know, uh, physiological response to fear? Freaking energy, fight or flight. So if we can start to get that mentality, start to get them hyped up for these challenging situations, then we can start to really go beyond freaking energy system training ATP. It's just freaking let's go. And yep. that's when you see those moments in which athletes overcome despite of their current energy level or how much, you know, and it's the fourth quarter, it's the last second, no matter how much they run that game, you see Malcolm Butler freaking, you know, make a play, right. Intercepting Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl mm-hmm. after he's already run 5,000 yards that game, you know? Yeah. So all these different things, we want fear, fear, action athletes versus fear thought. 
training provides you the opportunity, practice visualization and all these different tools and techniques that are out there to create fear action versus fear thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally, we have concentration. So if we can give the athletes the ability to focus, if we can give our athletes the ability to focus on one selective task and give everything that they have in their, their being to executing that task, then we're going to put them in a position to do what? Focus on the field for the free throws when it's the freaking time is out and you have to make the shot. Right. Or the field goal or that, that Malcolm Butler on the goal line, right? Mm-hmm. Their ability to pay selective attention to the task at hand at the moment in time. Mm-hmm. So they don't disappear up their own ass or just, uh, you or, know. I mean, bandwidth isn't compromised. You know, you hear John yes. talk about not hearing the crowd. Well, that, uh, that allocates more proverbial bandwidth or processing power to a focal stimulus to process, calculate, and react faster. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. So Absolutely. that ability to pay selective attention, that is a limiting factor or in an attribute which our athletes can really allow them to take it to the house. We call Look. it uh, we call it stress inoculation. Sure. It, you yes. Know, we've and, got uh, our three tenets are start fast, stay focused, finish strong. And if you can knock out those three and put people as coaches in a position to work on them, I think you're ahead of the game. And y'all are ahead of the game because that's one of the things that I work with athletes or coaches are are those mantras, right? Yep. To get into place, uh, Jim Carizzi does an amazing job at Kennesaw State yep. of just really focusing on simple things that just it's almost a switch, it's a button to get into that. It's like freaking using mm-hmm. the old the old bell, yeah, for Pavlov's the, dog, Pavlov's dog kind of type of thing to really just get in the zone. Uh, you know, Jason Jason Kidd would blow a kiss to his daughter before every field right. free throw. Right. Right. So that that kind of thing to pay selective attention. If we watch experienced kids in the weight room, right? I got my squat routine down. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna place my thumbs one thumb distance away from the smooth. I'm gonna wrap my thumb around it. I'm gonna set my feet. I'm gonna squat underneath it. I just have my squat routine. Mm-hmm. So if I can develop that ability to pay selective attention in my my maximal effort on my squats, my sprints, even my tempo runs, my ability to mm-hmm. focus on my running technique, dorsiflexion drive, then it just sets myself up for the same mental mechanisms that would allow me to focus on the free throw yeah. or the penalty kick and so on and so forth, despite of my energy level or any, you know, yeah. thing that we're that's measurable. Distractions. Yeah. Totally. So a lot of these mental things are not measurable, but uh, the weight room again, in my extremely biased and personal opinion, <laughs> is the ability to maximize these three limiting factors to hand this athlete off to the sport coach yeah. to fuck it all up. Right, right. <laughs> no, I love it. it it's funny, you guys. Um, one of the reasons uh, that we are pretty pumped about the things that we're doing at the Good Athlete Project is because um, we think we're considering our actions in as in-depth a way as, as we can. You guys definitely are from a strength perspective. There's no question. And like I said, we all we listen to your podcast here. Um, you guys are thinking hard about this stuff, and it's super super refreshing. Because back when we were trying to beat Naperville Central, it was bench squat clean, run stairs till you can't anymore, and that was our strength program. Sounds so familiar. Yeah. Being well considered is is probably the idea, the thing that we push for more than anything. Um, we're super lucky to have uh, the bulk of our advisory board um, 
they're Harvard professors, and that's actually where this thing was born. Was was at Harvard when I was studying out there. Um, I was working on human development and psychology, but the focus was cognitive neuroscience. And what you guys are talking about, um, you, you, you know, the Pavlovian responses, the um, working the attention, like how to pay attention in the midst of chaos. These are like there's neural correlates to all of this stuff. So it may it it, it certainly feels right, and it's tried and true methods, the things that you guys are talking about, but. Um, it, I mean, it can be backed. It's legit. It's very real. And, and it's probably looking farther into it than most people have looked, which is really refreshing right. to hear. I love that. Um, and, I'm sorry. No, no, yeah, just, just on that looking farther into it, yes. And then the farther we look into it, the, the simpler it gets. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. that but the simpler we can make it. Yeah. Going back to much earlier, digestible. You know, that the challenge to make this content digestible. Yep. Uh, that, but it's the, the mechanism. Or and the challenge the is then selling that digestible, simple content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that. But then that comes down to you know your, I guess, text your three appeals, finding what those appeals are for your audience, make the connection, build trust, be a good guy, and then breach the con. You know, breach the conversation. Yep. But if you go in there kicking a door and start preaching your way and your method, and this is why, don't mm -hmm. or this is how, don't worry about why. Uh, right. you're not going to get. There's just no receptive. No one's going to be receptive. Very few people should be receptive to that, right? Right. So. Right. Right. There's probably a handful that just want to be led and would prefer to defer to you, but those aren't really. Those aren't the people that we are working with or are hoping to work right. with. And, and and a big charge of ours is um, essentially to change the way that people look at coaching as a profession. Like I mentioned, the cognitive neuroscience lens. Like there's no question that sports, the weight room, whatever it might be is probably the most powerful learning environment that exists, right? Uh, yeah, no, sure. one's, no one's shaking with excitement before history class or very few relative to whatever. <laughs> so it, it's a completely novel environment. So the, the mentors, the models in that environment become like increasingly important. The more we acknowledge that, the more um, weight they should shoulder, I think. Um, right. And then the, the big key is uh, to actually mention the mindset stuff. And we've said transfer a bunch of times. One of the things that we want to do um, is we want to go beyond strength, and that's a term we use around here a lot. And uh, I hope it's not too early to. Yeah, I'm I'm actually writing a book, so don't steal that title, guys. Please, if you don't. Mind. Oh, we're just about to publish it. Damn um, it! All right. Uh, well, that's okay. But so no, the idea, kidding. but the beyond strength idea, um, it's like how can we how can we take whatever is tapped into on the third set of five, um, uh -huh. that whatever that mindset is, and transfer it into like someone's life, like essentially what happens once football season is over. Right. Um, I, I think to make sure that the things that we're teaching, uh, you mentioned, we're, we're moving toward lifelong health and wellness. We're, we're moving on like actions of the human body, understanding what role sleep and nutrition, all these things play in healthy living and using sports in the weight room as the motivation is the goal that they're working toward and sort of teach it almost uh, without them recognizing. Right. And I mean, candidly, that was what that why I sunk my teeth in, you know, 2007, 2008, sunk my teeth into CrossFit yeah. is I was working a shitty corporate job, man. Like it sucked, yeah. and, but I'm just the type of guy who's going to fucking just grind it out. And I, I don't know. I want to be the best there and yeah. I, I don't want the trophy or anything. I just want to fucking, I want to know that I fucking smashed everybody. Right. Right. <laughs> and that's the, what I found myself doing in corporate America. Right. And it's just not that it was a bad idea. Maybe it was. I mean, that's a, probably a whole different show or I got to see a doctor about or something. But what happened is I go to this CrossFit gig and it puts me in this grind, you know, that, that proverbial, uh, you know, 
third set of five, mm-hmm. and you come out the other end prevailing this this grind and suffering, and then all of a sudden sitting in the fucking pricing meeting talking yeah. about uh, you know Lucas Oil and, yeah. and their supply issues due to Hurricane Katrina, and like okay guys, well we can't get supply on five million dollars worth of product go find us five million dollars and then you're there for fucking you know the next 72 hours straight trying to price nuts and bolts out of the market so you can make up five million dollars like it just wasn't that bad because i knew i was going to go get i was there's a mindset that i had built through the crossfit gig you know the unfortunate like i guess what we're getting at is we've found more effective ways to tap into that you know with with training that is more potent, has a higher return, is more, you know, more effective because uh, it's performance based and you can't compromise anything else when you're working with an athlete who has to be able to reach that pinnacle performance. Uh, you know, yeah, you can burn them down and give them the sizzle. That'll get them there. But let's find a better way. And For that's sure. that was the experience I found in uh, at the CrossFit football seminar back then. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and safety, like uh, uh, another theme in all of this to me that's jumping out is safety. And like if I had to add a fourth bubble to that, the three, I mean, uh-huh. you, you can't have, it doesn't matter how athletic someone is and um, if they're broken, right? And I know that you guys, it's obviously incorporated in, in the athletic yeah, skill for sure. But there's, but he, there's got to be a way to like uh, to qualify it outside of a bubble, you know? I mean, yeah. it's like, it's really the DNA of any strength and conditioning program, right? It's the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that that little thread is woven through every piece of That's training true. that you, you you know, mend together yep. uh, is that injury prevention or, uh, you know, 3P model that we talk about as well, you know, or our two 3P models that all align with kind of the do no harm deal. So yeah. persistent pursuit of perfection, you know, it's through the imperfect movement we may find ourselves in a compromising situation, uh, but also making sure that whatever you're throwing into your program or whatever you're following as an athlete uh, you know, it's not only has purpose that aligns with your goals, right? Yep. Um, but it's practical. You, uh, you have the equipment, you have the facilities, you have the general skill uh, time, like time, 45 minutes versus three hours. Mm-hmm. I can't give a three hour program to a 45 minute coach. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, uh, and prudent, you know, the, the prudency, is it going to, you know, in your experience, does it accomplish these purpose you set out to accomplish and is it the most effective and safe way to do things right so that's you know uh, i like that term lens or filter you know that's what we're constantly looking through you know as you align or as you evaluate programs or watch kids or teams or athletes or classes move or you know we we observe a lot of crossfit classes when we're on the road because we'll roll in uh fridays go dust off the heaviest dumbbells god forbid they're 75s because it's not going to do a fucking thing it's not going to do a thing but uh, and then we go sit there and just smash packs for an hour and watch a CrossFit class. And you just you're looking through these lenses and you're just yeah. like almost discouraged and disappointed. And like and but what gives me hope is like I, I also remember being that guy. I was that yeah. guy. Like yeah. without a doubt, I was that guy because uh, I didn't come through this like Tex as a you know, he's kind of like got the DNA of a coach. I came through it as an athlete and I had the ability to kind of coach, you know what I mean? And like uh, willing and able. So I'm going to go the opposite where Luke is hopeful. I am not. Mm-hmm. What's the opposite of that? Well, hope. not hopeful. Not, I am not hopeful. Why? <laughs> not because hopeful. there are coaches out there that, that preach this. Well, first is the break a lot of eggs to make an omelet. Uh, this, this fallacy of achievement, right? Well, this worked for my top tier athletes. And then 
I don't know, there was a hundred other people on that program that it broke and injured, but it worked for one. Yeah. Hey, buy this. Then right. there's the the other coach. Maybe this is the same person. I don't know. That's uh, that's saying you're not working hard enough because you didn't get hurt in training. <laughs> Absolutely, 100% false. Training is non-contact. Non-contact right. injury is freaking inexcusable, especially in the weight room. Yeah. So, and they are talking about this on their podcast, their shows. So they are building that mindset, that mentality for yeah. the coaches that are listening, and it's it's burns me up inside. Absolutely. I, I'll tell you one thing, and I've got nothing against a movement that has drawn a lot of people to it and made more people healthy than otherwise would have been, you know, so I don't mean to talk down to CrossFit, but I do not like the idea that you've got to be like lying on the gym floor when it's over or you or you didn't work that hard. Uh, I think there are very few times in my athletic career and I played 20 seasons of football and trained my ass off between every one of them that I was like on the ground. But th there's this idea though, there's like uh, this rise and grind, like chew yourself up. Uh, people do get addicted to the work, right? And I think oh, that's yeah, one of the yeah. things. And acknowledging that and somehow embedding lessons in it is key. One of the things, and I don't know if this applied to the corporate job, but like if you are, there's three things that we hit every time. Uh, it's exercise, sleep, and nutrition. And if you take one of those fundamental blocks out of anyone's training program, or even just the way they operate within their life, like you're going to get diminishing returns if you are sedentary, you know, sedentary eating from a vending machine and and you, you've slept five hours, you're averaging five hours a night. Like the way that you interact with the world, much less your training, uh, is going to fall to that level without question. Oh sure. But one thing I'd I'd be interested. We like I said, we want to for sure, and I mean this, and there's no fluff to it. Like you guys, um, you guys are doing things that not a lot of people are doing. And I think you should be highlighted for it. That's that's how we re, that's how we find a lot of the people that we associate with. Um, and I think part of that is um, I I personally don't think that you have much to prove in terms of what you know. But I think it would be compelling for people to hear more about you as people. We'd like to hear about your first album or concert. What kind of music you listened to? What did it look like back in the mid '90s uh, or whatever it might have been? I don't. I'm not that old, but. Luke, go ahead. Right. So first, <laughs> the first album I bought was Def Leppard. Mm. Like that was the whole oh, Def Lep. I can remember, uh, man, it, it was Fox Valley Mall. The first album I bought was Def Leppard. Pour some sugar on me. Nice. No brainer. It's a cassette tape. But then uh, I, I guess my foray into music was Nirvana. Like without yeah. a doubt, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Like to this day, any any Pearl Jam comes on, any Nirvana is like just nostalgia. Uh, to the peak and then uh, high school football was a lot of ACDC mm -hmm. right that ha that'll happen and uh, my buddy I played with he was a big corn guy so we did that um, you know prodigy uh, and then as I got into college I was like a drive-through records kind of pop punk guy yeah and uh, yeah yeah so that was my thing man and uh, now to this day I, I, I guess I'm more aligned with that kind of that college genre but you know since moving to Austin and getting to know Tex here. He's introduced me some, the real country music, which I'm at first I was like, dude, country sucks. No, <laughs> but it does. Radio country sucks. There's some real, there is some good musicians. Right. That, uh, to right. You know, totally different. Um, singers, singer songwriters. Yeah, that's right. Like the singer songwriters versus, um, whatever auto tune pop country for sure. M yeah. Major difference. Uh, it's funny that you said that I, um, not only do we still play smells like team spirit when we've got a big squat coming up or whatever it might be, but can you see this at all? It's uh, drive-through records greatest hits. <laughs> I'm not joking. I just got it recently. You know, like we put the used Finch oh, Midtown. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So first concert, Finch, or first concert that's worth mentioning, Finch. Really? Was did, a Finch show. did y'all just become best friends? Uh, yeah. That just happened. <laughs> what? Listen, what? It, I I was squatting big the other day. What it is to burn? You remember that song? Oh, yeah. Uh, do I? Come on. Okay. Yeah. I apologize. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's amazing. <laughs> well, I want you to add this to the list. Mm-hmm. A guy named Corey Morrow. So first album, first concert, and essentially singer-songwriter Texas, and then. Uh, yeah, just get into that. I don't want to go into my whole repertoire. Repertoire, a lot or of Coldplay. My, my spiel because there's a lot of people that bastardize and bullshit and hate country music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was that guy, but I've opened my like truly. Uh, yeah, if but, you are that guy. Uh, and yeah, yeah there, there's something just about a person that wrote the song and then mm-hmm. stands there and sings it, and then their ability to get you feel what they feel inside, whether it's the concert or just hearing the music for the first time. Mm-hmm. It's, infinitely better than just some toe tapping bullshit yeah but that's that's also like uh that's common theme on all genre right true yeah so in terms of the music performer or even poet whatever okay so here's the next question ready what is your biggest fear and for those who are unwilling to confront the truth of that question we added a subtext and or which animal would you least like to be stuck in a room with if you want to go to Oh, uh, fuck it. I mean, I'll answer. I can probably come up with the biggest fear thing, uh, but the animal one's real easy to answer. Like a chimpanzee. After that <laughs> one chimpanzee ate that woman's face, I can only imagine that is the fucking scariest thing in the world. Yeah. Like, to try, like a little monkey, you should like just size up and should be able to break in half, mm-hmm. just shreds you up. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess biggest fear for me is. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I anticipate being a family man. I joke a lot with these guys. I'm pursuing six daughters. Uh, we were just at the Johnny Cash Museum and looked at Johnny Cash's old man was a, a, a child of a family of 12. And like, I don't know if that's practical or not. I don't have kids, man. Uh, I have friends with kids. I just think I'm going to be good at it. And yeah. something that my biggest fear would be failing them and uh, maybe either going too easy on them. Yeah. Not being hard enough. That's a, I guess that's kind of like a big global fear, but even bigger than that is um, not leaving a footprint, you know, and that's always, even in the corporate gig, my corporate gig is like, what are your goals? I'm like, I want to leave a footprint, yeah. you know, that whoever's t- in tow, uh, either in, in my position or in my company or, you know, any of these guys who are following Power Athlete, you know, Power Athlete Nation, I, I, and I, th- I think we're in the process of creating that. So yeah. If I, 20 years from now, this power athlete thing was totally irrelevant and there's not somebody who fucking finds me at like a a town carnival and you're like, hey, power athlete guy. Like it doesn't have to be like I'm not trying to be world famous. It's just like I think we we're we're I want to create a social movement. And I think we're in the midst of that, uh, at least within this time domain, you know, and if if that ends up flopping, I'll I'll be pretty disappointed. That's fair. Uh, Animal. I don't know. Big cats. Any big cat out there. I'm I'm basically screwed. Dude, you just punch that cat in the face. What? Well, you're allergic. You're oh, not allergic. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Shit. Um, if you think, are you allergic to house cats or are you allergic to tigers? Uh, both probably. Just curious. <laughs> That's a good uh, question. Well, yeah. And then uh, actually real fear, and I, I've lived this many times, is not being able to effectively communicate a message to have the appropriate, the prudent impact. Yeah. So uh, I guess my first my first year uh, at D1, uh, I ran the session for the women's lacrosse team, and they they were sore. So they communicated to the trainers and the coaches like sore was an injury. Yeah. 
So it was a lot of new movements, dead bugs, different uh, cocky walks and things like that to attack their lower legs. But I didn't communicate well enough that, you know, sore means they worked hard. They did they did everything properly and executed it. And I got taken off the team. Then there were three ACL and I identified those girls day one. I saw it. Then there were those three girls tore their ACL that year. Hmm. So because of my inability to communicate, I guess, the overarching goal or my approach, uh, what I w- it was aiming to accomplish, then these three girls, would they have done it? I don't know. So then it's understanding this stuff. And then Luke mentioned it, right? He, he coached CrossFit. He went to the CrossFit football seminar. Then he went back and had to tell his athletes, like, hey, I was wrong. I have yeah. to do this. So not not the fear of telling people I was wrong, but then the fear of, Genuine believing what I'm applying is correct and it not being correct. Genuinely communicating and then misfiring there or not getting the buy-in necessary to appropriately apply the training to have the intended, the prudent impact there. Um, so that's why investing so much time, money, and effort in seeking out the best. If you if you understand Power Athlete Radio, the sole mission is to find the best yeah. in the world learn exactly what they're doing, what they're applying, and see how it, it can find a mold or a, a, a piece into the power athlete methodology because our goal is that athleticism continuum. Our goal is empowering performance. So if somebody is doing something better than us, we're going to put it into our system, mm-hmm. right? If they're not, awesome. We can we can acknowledge their their accomplishments, their goals, what they've done, but it won't affect performance, you know, in, in our our yeah. uh, methodology and approach. There's no question. That's, that's so much of that that's why we promote self-awareness kind of above all else because like the science is going to change and adapt hopefully if the scientists are looking closely enough and all we can do as practitioners is is really look close and know that whatever we're putting into play um is our is our best effort right there there's that kind of balance between like you you certainly don't want to be wrong you want to be as good for people as you can um but there's also a level of of looking like but that's going to change you know, mm-hmm. um, so there's there's no absolute right, maybe in anything if we want to go real high with it, but uh, but uh, certainly in training, um, and that's a good thing. It's because we keep looking hard and, and growing. Thank you guys very much uh, for being here. I appreciate the time. Appreciate all the work you're doing. Um, I would encourage anyone who's listening and is interested in what you have to say to reach out. What are the best ways for them to find you? Uh, easiest way to get probably the fastest response is email. Uh, info at powerathletehq.com comes to all of us and we should we should eat, we should get through there or hit us up on Facebook the Facebook page of Power Athlete or even Instagram DMs and shit like that like we're, we're pretty accessible uh, we're for better or worse pretty tech enabled out here and that's kind of my influence uh, and my background so we want to be accessible we want to be able to be reached so just squeaky wheel gets the oil so be, be, be noisy if you need some patiently persistent yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Well, uh, I really do appreciate it, and we'll see you in a couple weeks. Awesome. Sir, thank you. Thanks, Jim. Today's episode was brought to you by Hand Armor Chalk, the official chalk of USA Weightlifting. You can find them at Hand Armor Chalk or at Team Hand Armor on Twitter and Instagram. For more on the Good Athlete Project, go to goodathleteproject.com or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Coach Number Four Kindness. That's Coach for Kindness. And keep an eye out for our next episode.